0: you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he did not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue, if they do uh, if they do not continue in their we will be grafted in for God is able to graft them again again for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these who are the natural
1: branches be grafted into their own olive tree alright so he's picturing God's people as an olive tree And there were, in verse 17, branches broken off. Those would be Jewish branches broken off. And there were wild olive branches grafted in. Those would be Gentile branches. And they become a partaker, the Gentile branches do, with the Jewish branches of the rich root of the olive tree. Now the root would be the Jewish patriarchs, the Jewish background that supports them. They depend on a Jewish heritage. Now he's telling... These grafted in Gentile, unnatural branches, that they shouldn't be arrogant toward the branches. Now remember, they don't support the root, that the root supports them. It's important that they do not get the big head because they, as a wild olive branch, have been grafted into this Jewish olive tree. That does not suddenly make them superior in some way and make them to where they ought to uh you know, stick their nose out in the air toward the Jews who've been cut off so they could be grafted in. Now he he would say, you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They will be broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. It is true branches were broken off. They didn't have faith. It was true you were grafted in. You did. But what happens if you lose your faith? It's so important that they recognize that God can as easily remove the Gentiles for their unbelief as he does a Jew. Think about it. If God would cut off a natural branch, because of lack of faith, would he not even more readily cut off a wild branch that doesn't even really fit the tree? Uh, so if the promises God made to Israel does not prevent them from being cut off. So the Gentiles shouldn't think that they could avoid judgment if they lose their faith and turn away from the Lord. He says if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And so he's trying to get the Gentiles not to be arrogant, not to feel like this has given them some monopoly on God's grace, not to be stuck up toward the Jews thinking, well, look at us, look at what we have. Uh, They they are what they are because of God's grace. And... uh, so that that's uh, thought provoking, um, and uh, so in in verse uh, twenty three, well verse twenty two, behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. So the fact is, there's no once saved always saved. If you lose your faith, if you don't continue in the Lord, you're cut off. Um. And 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 you know this—it's difficult to study this and and not come to that conclusion. You know there is always the danger of being cut off if you don't persist in your faith. Now he says in verse twenty-three, they also, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in for God's able to graft them in again. You would assume that it would be easier to regraft back <coughs> in a natural branch than to graft in a, a, a wild olive branch. So if they turn back to God, they'll be regrafted into that tree. Uh, really, salvation for the Jews would just involve being regrafted into the same tree they were cut off from. So he refused both the idea of once saved, always saved, and the idea of once fallen, always fallen. There's, there's a possibility to lose your salvation or to regain it depending on the status of your faith. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own tree? Which is really Paul's ultimate point. Paul wants us to understand that there is a way to salvation for the natural branches who have been cut off by their unbelief. If they turn to faith in Jesus, then they will be grafted back and again. Rejection of Israel is not final. It's not definitive. It's not irrevocable. There's a way back for them if they choose. Does that make sense? Questions or comments about all that? There's 30, there's Matt? Can
2: you clarify what you meant by the roots being the patriarchal
1: society? I think the, roots are lot, the root is like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and that sort of thing. I always thought of it being more of like the scriptures the that they had um, back then. I suspect he's dealing with people as being the root. The idea is they're dependent on the Jews in some sense. Jews aren't dependent on them. The root is a Jewish root. So however you want to look at what the root consists of. Other questions or comments? Regan? Is he switching to address the Gentiles
2: here instead of the Jews? Because he says you being the wild olive. Yes, where did you think he addressed the Jews? Um,
1: he was talking to the Jews in, like, the last
2: section.
1: Okay. okay. Now, I'm not sure where he talked to the Jews. He may have, but I think he is primarily talking to the Gentiles. God's sure. ability
2: to add or remove anyone just reminds me of our theme from chapter 1. The power of the gospel is amazing. God, with the good news, can do absolutely anything throughout this entire book. True. Very
1: true. Other thoughts?
0: 25 to 32. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient. That because of the mercy shown to you, they also will now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. A little more
1: challenging section here. So he says in 25, I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you won't be wise in your own estimation. So he's again trying to humble the brethren, so they don't get the big head about them being in this olive tree says that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's what he's been saying, that Israel in part was hardened, Paul and others turned to the Gentiles, and they've received the gospel. And so all Israel will be saved. That is a challenging statement for various reasons. Um, Paul cannot be making a distinction in the way Jews and Gentiles will be saved. Because he's been stressing that they're all one olive tree, and they're all saved in the same way by faith in Christ. He's he's, he's not saying that Jews can be saved apart from faith, because he's just said they'll be regrafted if they don't continue in their unbelief. And Paul cannot be saying that all physical Jews will be saved, because many Jews have died unsaved. So not all Jews, period, are saved. We're talking about physical Jews. What I think he's doing here is using this idea of Israel and Israel. They're not all Israel that are of Israel. So I think he's talking about spiritual Israel. All true Israel will be saved. I suggest for you Isaiah 45. This is a passage I went across a while back. I'm sure other people use it, but I'm not sure I've seen it used that much. Isaiah 45, 25. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified in the Lord. Well, in the context of Isaiah 45, I don't think he means that every single physical Israelite will be justified in the Lord. I think he's using it again in this idea, the true Israel. There's Israel, the fleshly nation. There's Israel, those who have the faith of Abraham. I think he means the true Israel. So all the real Israelites will be saved. They'll be saved with the hardening of the unbelieving mass. He's talking about a spiritual salvation. He's removing ungodliness from Jacob. His covenant with them is taking away their sins. So this is not talking about political salvation. Like a lot of people look at this and, well, this is... You know, Israel was started in 1948 as the fulfillment of this, now all Israel and all that. It's not not all, all talking about anything political. This is a, a, a messianic passage talking about the Messiah's role in spiritual salvation. And uh, he says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The idea is that God will not revoke his gifts and call God will save those who are truly his people. He won't miss any. He's he's committed to the salvation of the Jews who have faith in Jesus. He will save them if they turn back to Jesus. He will save them again. And so we can be confident that all Israel properly defined will be saved. God's not going to miss them. not going to forget about them. So he says in verse 30, For just as you once were disobedient to God, Gentiles, you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of the disobedience. When the Jews rejected, Paul turned to the Gentiles and they were shown mercy. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. The idea is the Jews will want the salvation that Gentiles are receiving and will turn back to Jesus and receive his mercy too. He says, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. God has shown everybody as hopeless without grace, without the gospel. That's what you see. And so um, God God wanted people to recognize they had no other hope than Jesus. Believing Jesus is the only way of salvation. Alright, thoughts and comments
0: through thirty two. back. Can you clarify uh, verse 28 again? Was he saying that Jews are the <clears> Gentiles' <throat> enemy from the Gospels' sake? The-
1: yeah, let I me mean, look at my notes here. Um, well, I think they became enemies of the Gospel so that the Gospel would go to the Gentiles. When they rejected the gospel, <laughs> then Paul would turn to the Gentiles. And, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. God still loves them and is willing to receive them back when they turn back to God. Any
2: questions? You, you see in Acts uh, how it was the Jews who were so often the troublemakers of Thessalonica, yeah. their places that, I mean, that's why they were being persecuted. And that's why Paul... Paul was mostly persecuted by like, Jewish brethren. You're right. And I think even into the days of Polycarp and things still the Jews were causing a lot of trouble. And so it's uh, good for, for Christians to continue in the next generation. And so I think that's the feel. It's like the these Jews are, are enemies kind of because we said the gospel. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Good, good thoughts. Yeah, you're right. The Jews were very much the uh, the persecutors throughout much of that time. No. Himself up until Acts chapter 9. Right. He knew about being a Jewish persecutor.
2: Back. So you think that in verse 25, verse intrial, has the first Israel has a partial hardness is the physical nature? I think of the nature. so. Yes. How would the reader know to make a distinction? Just by what he's saying is all I
1: know. There's no other way to know. How does all questions, come? I'm open to other interpretations of this passage, but I, that's the best explanation I know. John,
2: um, Paul finishes up Galatians with a similar reference to the Israel of God. Um, uh, verse uh, Chapter 6, verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule that circumcision and uncircumcision don't mean anything, those that walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God.
1: So that's probably a similar spiritual phrasing. Right, right. Um, You've got just that distinction between Israel and Israel. You've got uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 65 that uses a similar kind of an idea. In uh, verse 13, Isaiah 25, 13, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. My servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will put to shame, and so forth, and so on. He's distinguishing between Israel and Israel. The, uh, The Israel, the mass, and Israel, the faithful remnant. And you just got that distinction quite often in the Bible. Anything else? Well... We have come through a lot of profound statements about God. We have seen God's just amazing plan, his amazing nature. And I think what Paul says in Acts is so appropriate. We, this is this is a, a very logical explanation. So 33 to 36.
0: Oh, the death for the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God... How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his
1: ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has been given a gift to him, or who has given a gift to him, that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things.
0: To him be glory forever.
1: Amen. Amen. I would prefer translating this in verse 33 Oh, the death of the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. That is a possibility, and that's in my margin. Uh, so I think that's the idea. The depth of the riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God. They are unsearchable, they are unfathomable, and he asks questions that relate to them. So, uh, how, how deep is the knowledge of God? For who has known the mind of the Lord who has become his counselor? God's knowledge is so deep, nobody can know his mind. Can you imagine God, you know, calling up an engineering firm and saying, uh, I need some help on how to get the planets to line up right here, or, you know, whatever. I mean, who would God consult with? Can you imagine him consulting with some some human entity about how to get this salvation process just right? You know, God, that's, that's laughable, it really is. You know, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Who who can give God some good advice? That's laughable. It's ridiculous. God's the depth of God's wisdom. Uh well, there's really who has become his counselor, I guess. So his knowledge, who has known his mind, his wisdom, who has become his counselor, who can give him counsel, and then his riches, who's first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? God's riches are so immense. Can you imagine God calling up and asking for a loan? You know, I need to borrow a little money here, I'm a little short. Here. Why? No. Never. So God is so knowledgeable, nobody can know his mind. So wise, nobody can give him counsel. So rich, nobody can place him in their debt. I mean, God is just amazing. And and I mean, you just can't really say enough about all those things. The knowledge, the wisdom, and the riches of God. They are so deep, they are so vast, they are so immense. I mean, we just need to be more impressed with the greatness of God. We need to be more amazed by God and who he is and what he is and what he's done. So in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. From him he's the source. Through him he's the sustainer. To him he's the goal of all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Wow, he deserves that glory. He is, he is. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly a people. We don't have a lot of respect uh, for Maybe there's some reasons for that that aren't all bad, but, but we don't stand in awe of much, of anything. And, and I think we really don't have the awe of God that we should. You know, it, it's hard to make yourself think about the greatness of God. Think about God, you know, you don't see him. You see the evidence of I it, mean, you'll see him. So, you know, reflecting on his glory, reflecting on his greatness, you know, it just takes some, some concentration. But we really ought to. We really need to praise and glorify him and be filled with amazement and wonder at the knowledge, the wisdom, and, and the riches of God. And, and everything else about God. You know, and, and this is almost the least that could be said here, after these 11 chapters, in which we've just seen so much of the profound nature of the Lord. Thoughts and comments on all this? Austin. Awesome.
2: Colossians 2 talks about that same thing being, you know, knit together in, in the full riches. I'm paraphrasing here, but and it, ultimately it's in Christ, is what it says there in the, the first few verses of Colossians 2. So, while it's God here, in <clears throat> Colossians, it's, it's speaking of Christ and the greatness that we have because he is bringing about the richness, the fullness, the knowledge, the wisdom, and the
1: treasure. And a very it's impressive passage about that in Colossians, too, for sure. Linda? It's a question, really. Um,
2: didn't Paul say something where I can't it is that we have the mind of Christ,
1: is that, Is that not First mm-hmm. Corinthians two? Yeah, First Corinthians two sixteen. In other words, God has revealed His mind to us.
2: Gonna say that it's, I marvel at Paul too. I mean, because I just love seeing bits of his character because of, uh, of all the apostles that we have evidence of in scripture that knows the mind or who we would think would know God the most. We just see Paul explaining all this stuff the best that he can, and he keeps saying, I'm speaking in human terms, and then he just he still can't help himself after explaining this stuff, but still. Look at how awesome God is, though. And, like, I, I, we still can't even figure out everything. We still can't know his mind. We still have to marvel and give him glory for the perfection
1: but that is in his plan. Amen. Yeah. He is amazing. Other questions, comments? 8. Yeah. For my thoughts or higher, are your thoughts?
2: And... Are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Just go so,
1: the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. That needs to humble us. Wow, we're nothing compared to the Lord. Yeah,
2: Ben. So, as if, if we look at this, you, you said, I, I think that it's a fitting conclusion to what we've talked about so far, and when we. Think about all of the things that Paul is trying to convey to us. They are deep. They're challenging, and and as you rightly said, I don't know about some of the questions that we have. But if we think about the depth of wisdom and knowledge of God, that's an encouragement to us. As Jesus says in the Beatitudes, that uh, he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied. We can keep going back to these things and keep uh, exploring the depths, trying to, to get a better hold on how great and wonderful God is and grow ever closer to him. This is this is a, a statement of who he is and why we should want to try and grow closer to him.
1: Amen. Yes. Good, good thoughts.
2: Here? Yes. Yeah. So, so just seeing how Paul's uh, expression of uh, honor and praise as, he considers the gospel, it's no wonder he was so active in evangelism and sharing it. Um, and so this makes me think, if, if I am not um, as active in sharing about this glorious gospel that God has designed, um, then probably because I don't see it as being as amazing as what it really is.
1: Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Uh, several of the guys last night we're sharing some things I have no knowledge about, even though I read the books at one point, about the Lord of the Rings and all this <laughs> kind of stuff and all that. You watch a good movie. You want to talk about it. You tell people, don't you? This was really cool. This was that, This was this. You go to a good restaurant. You know, you want to tell everybody. You know, it's natural. You're impressed by good food, good entertainment, and so forth and so on, and you share it. You're excited about it. And a whole other dimension. The Lord is so amazing. We just really show, we judge ourselves by how little we want to talk about it, by how little excitement we have, by how much, we we ought to be sharing with non-Christians the greatness and glory of God. This is more, I don't know if I've ever said it quite this way, but this is more than just trying to evangelize things. We need to do that. But this is also just sharing with everybody around us the amazing nature of the Lord. We ought to exclaim about that, period, and we also ought to evangelize. Uh, but God is so amazing, how can we shut up about it? But we do. Uh, at least I do. And it's it's definitely, you know, shameful. And just shows a lack of, I don't know, almost awareness of who God is. Awesome
2: it may also go back to that grace comment right we're so worried about the grace that god has given us that we don't want to share that side right? we don't want to share the the downtroddenness that our life was the, the deep despair that we were in and how grateful we should be to god for his mercy and his grace that we were not humble enough to share it with
1: others could be good thought other comments
2: I was just I was thinking that we praise God a lot of times in a monotone that we don't we don't inflict passion into our voices, we don't show our emotion for how much we really appreciate God for being our God, and for being so wonderful and uh, powerful. We just we don't show that emotion a lot of times or I, I don't
1: know. Uh, mm-hmm. We can at least express ourselves in song for a little bit. We've shifted a lot. Not everybody may have a book. It would also be helpful if you had a folder or a packet of those extra songs. So let's get some of those.